three of our conviction series, Pastor Dan uh, had gone through scripture, and last week uh, I went through the Trinity, uh, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about creation. We're talking about each of us being created uh, for a purpose. But before we get into that, I just want to say, if you will remember this week, uh, Pastor Dan and Gretchen are gone. They're just on a short vacation, spending some time up in Washington alone. They left the children at home. The children are very sad about that. Um, they can deal, okay? Uh, they can deal. But they're just having a little getaway. Uh, Gretchen's also going to be starting a new position uh, here within the school district, and we're very excited for her. Uh, and uh, so they took a little time away to just uh, be for a little bit and to rest up. And uh, before all these things start to change this next month in their life, uh, Micah is about to leave for college, uh, as I'm sure Dan has mentioned more than once. Um, and uh, Micah will be down in, uh, he'll be down in Arizona. And then uh, Elijah's leaving for Omaha, Nebraska uh, to be on swim team there here in just a few weeks. So we're glad that they're getting the rest before they start doing a bunch of traveling to get kids in school and get things going. But this morning, we are going to dive into uh, this, uh, this topic of creation and who God has created us to be. Uh, and today, we're going to summarize uh, a little bit of uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and we'll get to that. Uh, but if you want to turn your Bibles right now to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be in uh, verse 15 through 22 for just a little bit. And I think it's an important perspective that we have uh, this specific passage in mind when we talk about creation and what came first, the order of things. And it is important that we recognize that uh, in, as, and what scripture shows us when it comes to creation. So I want to dive into uh, verse 15 right away and we'll, we'll go into it now. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. A scripture is important uh, as we discuss creation. Inevitably, we are also going to discuss purpose today. We're reminded at the beginning that the firstborn of all creation is Jesus, the son of the living God, that nothing came before him and all that exists went through him. Today, we have grace and forgiveness because of Jesus and through his sacrifice. All those things mentioned here in Colossians chapter one give us perspective on the purpose of creation and God's purpose for us. Now, when we talk about creation, I'm talking about the beginning, and I understand that for each of us individually, um, we, we also, like Adam and Eve, come from somewhere. We all come from somewhere. Um, I was born in Aberdeen, Washington, which is not a big deal, okay? Um, if you're a big fan of Aberdeen, Washington, and you happen to love that place, you might want to plug your ears for a moment. Because um, I am not a big fan of Aberdeen, Washington. I had not been there in like 34 years, and last August, I decided to go see where I was born. 
and where I began my journey, if you will. Um, and uh, so I went out to Aberdeen, staying with a pastor friend. I was honestly COVID bored, I think, is what stirred me to go and take this trip. It wasn't something dramatic happened in my life, and I now need to go to my origins and figure out my whole existence. Not one of those things. Not having a midlife crisis, I promise. But uh, I was bored. And so I drove up, spent the night with a friend, and then I went out, and I drove into probably the most depressed town I've ever been in my life. Um, it, it, Aberdeen, Washington, rains 300 days a year. That's, that's normal for them. Uh, so that's real exciting, first of all. Uh, its industry is much like uh, most of them, uh, the Northwest. It's timber. It's a timber town. And it's probably most famous uh, for being the childhood home of the grunge superstar Kurt Cobain. Uh, him and I were born in the same hospital several years apart. That's all I got. There's nothing else there. They got some fast food joints. They have the weirdest laid out street system possibly in the Northwest. It's really odd. And uh, it's just a blip in the middle of Washington. It's nothing special. But while I was on that trip, I also got to see uh, my very first home. And, uh, and I think for all of us, that's probably got just a little bit of uh, sentimental feeling or, or, or a vibe to it. My, my wife, uh, when, when, uh, uh, <clears throat> when she was born, was raised in the same house until she was 18 years old and went to college. I did not have that experience, uh, not anywhere near that experience. Uh, my parents got done with college, and they went out to Aberdeen to go be interns at a church. Um, and uh, they were just hanging out, helping out with youth and worship at this tiny little place. And uh, the, the church in and of itself took me an hour and a half to find in Aberdeen. Okay? And it's not because I'm bad at Google Maps. It's because they changed the name of the, ad, or the, the street four times since my parents lived there and I had to go to the city and figure that out because my parents kept telling me it was on this one street. And I'm like, yeah, it ain't there. And the ch name of the church has also changed three times since I was a child. So it was impossible uh, to find without going down to an office there in, in the city and figuring it all out. But I went to this little building, which was going through a renovation, and it was just small out of the way, not even on a main road. They probably had, you know, 30 or 40 people that attended it back in the day. And, uh, and this is where my parents chose to begin their marriage and, uh, and chose to step out into ministry. And the, the place that they lived in was honestly about half the size of our stage. I went up into this, this little room in the back of the church that was really probably more of a storage area that they'd converted into a little apartment. And that's where I spent first year of my life, was living in this little room with my parents. And you know, that will make you question every decision that your parents have ever made. You go, dad, this is where you chose to start your marriage and have a child? This is, this is what you decided to do with that season of life. I'm like, Okay, sure. Uh, I feel that obligation or, or that sense of duty to, to provide, you know, this nice space for my family, and, I, and, and we've tried to do that over the years, and, and certainly some of those have been pretty humble, but, but this, is, this is really small, just really small. There's no getting away from each other. I can't imagine the fights, all of that. But that's the beginning of their story together. And I think it's important that we all understand that we come from somewhere. I only lived there for a short time. My parents moved back to Oregon, where they're from, and, uh, and, and we, we lived in Oregon uh, the great majority of my life. I've only spent two other years of my life outside of the state of Oregon. But you probably could go back and think about where your journey began. 
and where your life uh, started out. And you might have humble beginnings too. You might have a similar story like, yeah, I can relate. We didn't have a lot. You know, I've, I've certainly uh, met a lot of people that will share worse stories with me, uh, what their life looked like growing up maybe on a dirt floor or without running water in their home. I've heard plenty of those stories over the course of my life. But it's important to understand that we all come from somewhere. We do. We all have a story. There was a beginning. There will be an end. We all come from somewhere. I want to dive now into uh, Genesis chapter 1 as we discuss the very beginnings of all existence. And again, I'm going to summarize uh, part of the chapter. um, So you feel free to look along in the wording of your Bible uh, as I'm summarizing this. As, uh, and just for the sake of time, and we'll get through this here uh, momentarily. Towards the beginning of chapter 1 here, it states, Before there was anything else, God made the heavens and the earth. The earth had no form, and everything was dark. Then God's spirit moved across the waters. God said, Let there be light, and light appeared. God declared the light good, and he separated it from the darkness. The light was called day, the darkness was called night. Then next God made a dome, separating the waters above the dome from the waters beneath it. The dome was called sky, the second day passed. On the third day, God gathered the waters under the sky into one place, calling them seas. This allowed dry land, the earth, to appear. God saw that these things were good. Then he created all kinds of vegetation, all seed-yielding plants and fruit-bearing trees. And on the fourth day, God put lights in the sky to signify seasons, days, and years, and to provide light on the earth. He made great lights for both the day and the night, and stars as well. On the fifth day, God made creatures to swim in the waters and birds to fly in the skies. After seeing that the sea creatures and birds were good, God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply, filling the waters and the earth. On the sixth day, God made every kind of earthly creature, cattle, creeping things like mice, reptiles, and insects, and wild animals. After that, God decided to create humankind in our image and likeness. Humankind would then have dominion over all other creatures in the seas, in the air, and on the earth. And then God rested. So let's recap that real quick. Day one, God creates light. And day two, atmosphere and firmament. Day three, uh, dry ground and plants. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, bird and sea creatures. Day six, land animals and humans. And day seven, the Sabbath day of rest. Now, I think it's really important that we see the intentionality of what God did. God created a space for things to be. He created a place for it first. Then he brought things along, gave them life, gave them the opportunity to also eat things that had already been created. There was an order and an intentionality in which God did this process, that he created the heavens and the earth. And in chapter 2, we see a slightly different version. If you've read both chapters, you recognize there's some differences and it dives further into certain aspects. And I want to go through that as well and then highlight some of these similarities. It says in chapter 2, now that God has finished making the heavens, the earth, and everything in them, God spends the seventh day resting, uh, accordingly blesses that holy day. After the Lord God makes the earth and heavens, before it has yet rained uh, to bring forth plants from the ground, the Lord God forms a man from the dust of the ground. He breathes the breath of life into the man's nostrils, causing him to become a living being. That is very important. We'll get back to that in a moment. The Lord God plants a garden in Eden and places the man there. The Lord God creates uh, or makes every kind of pleasant, fruitful tree to grow in Eden. 
The tree of life sits in the middle of the garden as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The garden is watered by a river beyond Eden. The river uh, becomes four branches and two of these are the Tigris and the Euphrates. God puts the first man into an environment that's created just for him. Lord God puts man in the garden of Eden to tend it. He tells the man that he is allowed to eat from every tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If the man eats from that tree, he will die. And the Lord decides it's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a companion. So the Lord God forms uh, animals and birds and brings each of these to the man who gives them names. However, none of these creatures is found to be a suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God puts the man into a deep sleep and removes one of the man's ribs. From the rib, he forms a woman. When the Lord God brings the woman to the man, the man calls her woman because she was taken out of the man. The man says that she is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, as we read through those, again, there's definitely some uh, differences, but I want to highlight the similarities really quick. Let's look at these parallels. First, human beings are given responsibilities. They have authority over God's creation. All created things depend on God for sustenance. He is the provider. God is self-existent. He existed before creation. God is the source of life. Creation includes the living and non-living things. Human beings share in the life of God. So, i.e., first creation, man is created the image of God. The second creation, God breathed life in his nostrils. Human beings are created male and female and for a purpose. Everything that God created has purpose. Everything. And this is foundational to our belief. I know that uh, if we were to Google image how everything was created today, (laughs) we would certainly find varied opinions, varied beliefs and feelings about this subject, and there would be all kinds of content that you'd have to sift through. I get that. We believe that this is what happened, that God himself created the heavens and the earth. I think when we read through this, though, one of the things that we tend to do is we start to ask questions. And all too often, because we are who we are, we ask the wrong ones. We look at this and we see what God created, especially in that first chapter, and we go, okay, but so did God create all the animals that we see here today? Did he create everything? Because it says God created all these animals and every living creature says that. But have we, do we have more of them now? Has adaptations taken place? And science tries to answer all these questions for us. We get lost in things like this. This is what my brain does, and I'm sure you have your own. But you, we ask these questions like, God, why are there mosquitoes? Why? Why in the world does a mosquito exist? It has no function but to make me itch and be annoyed. Why do flies exist? All they do is carry disease. Why? I understand they're food for other things, but do we need them? Does the earth need flies? Does the earth need mosquitoes? My wife would definitely ask this question, why are there snakes and spiders? Specifically, why are there snakes and spiders? Do snakes need to exist on this planet for real? Do they? My wife last night, we were, uh, my kids love uh, everything, right? Like they love every little creature that crawls around and, and slithers. And um, last night, we're starting to get the gardener snakes. 
and there was a little baby one, maybe this long, something like that, and it found its way under a tire in our driveway, and my son, super excited, loves it, gets out there, this thing wraps around his finger, he comes to me and, and opens the door with the thing on his finger, mom's sitting at the dinner table, we had some friends over, and, and she, no, 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 and he, he comes over to me, he goes, He's like, Dad, Mom, Mom says that I have to get rid of the snake, but we've bonded. <laughs> Those are his exact words. He said bonded. He's eight years old, and it's terrifying. And I just looked at him and said, hey, buddy, you knew you were going to have to put the snake back. It's not coming in the house. And he's like, but how will I find him again? You know, I might find him with the lawnmower. I don't know. Could. Could happen. Max handles that stuff real well. But... We, want, we get stuck in those types of questions, don't we? Because it's how our brains work. It's stuff that we think about. And we miss, we miss the bigger question often, okay? Because we, we're selfish. We're going to look at things through our own eyes. We're going to think how we think. And that's how God created us to be. It's very natural. It's not wrong, okay? But we're going to ask those kinds of questions. Why mosquitoes? Why snakes? Why all this stuff? Why did you do this? But I believe when it comes to creation, we get bogged down in these details and these silly discussions, and we miss the big question. And it, it should be obvious. It's right there. It really is. When you read Genesis chapter 1, this question's right there. The question we should ask is, why did you create everything? Why? You might substitute even the word everything for anything. Why did you create anything? That is the first question, the big one. And the thing that we may struggle with all of our lives whenever it comes to mind. Why are we even here? It was all perfect. God was God and, and he has a son. And then why us? Why do we go through all this emotional stuff? Why do we go through what we do? Did God need us? Well, I believe that God has answered that question. And we'll get to that in just a moment. We, uh, we, we really will answer it, but, but I want to start with a question that we probably all asked uh, before, because maybe we haven't asked the big one, but we've all asked this question or something similar. God, why am I here? Again, we tend to think about the personal. You know, we tend to think about ourselves. Why am I here? I think the earth could have probably existed without Matt Novak. I'm pretty sure it would have been fine. Why am I here? And we've all, at some point, wrestled with that. Inwardly, outwardly even, wrestled with that. And asked this question repeatedly. I think, again, that it's only natural, but we need to understand all the things that concern and impact us directly. The author, Timothy Keller, makes this great point about this specific question. He says, you don't know yourself unless you know yourself in relationship to God repeat that. You don't know yourself unless you know yourself in relationship to God. And that is vital. That we need to understand. We will never receive an answer to that big question. Who have you created me to be? What is my purpose? Unless we get this. This is foundational. So with that understanding, we can go back to the big question. Why did God create us? I'll pull this from a commentary a long time ago, and I, I don't have it on the screen for you today, but I want to read it to you. So hear these words. 
God did not need the world or need people because God has no lack. Instead, God is so full of all that is good that it overflows and spills out of him. His very nature is to share his goodness, grace, and love. He created people out of love for the purpose of sharing love. People were created to love God and each other. Additionally, when God created people, he gave them good work to do so that they might experience God's goodness and reflect his image in the way they care for the world and for each other. They were created without flaw or sin, and God intended that they live this way eternally. That is why everything was created. Because of who God is. And that big question lays this foundation for all these other things. I think it's important that we are all, and and I think we are, aware that while that was God's intention, though, for us to live in this love, that we messed it up. We as people sinned and we created a disconnect with God. A disconnect with the very nature he created us to have. And because of that disconnect and broken relationship, we see throughout both scripture and the course of our own lives the need for great grace. That's on us, each of us individually. We have disconnected ourselves with the original creation that God made us to be. People ask, you know, if God had, or have made this statement to me, I should say, if God had a plan for my life, Pastor, I've, I've messed that up. It's, it's kind of over. You know, kind of tongue-in-cheek. And I go, yeah, God had a plan, and God still has a plan. And when you mess up tomorrow, God's going to have another plan. I'm probably on plan like ZP63. Like, we're in a whole new alphabet, right? With the amount of decisions that we've made that, are, that were incorrect in the moment, God doesn't leave us. He adjusts. God doesn't abandon us. Just because we aren't being who he created us to be, he still is ever-present and still continuing to lead. He still desires that his creation fulfill purpose, and he gave that purpose to each one of us. I'm a pastor, and I have a calling. That's absolutely true. I understand that that calling is my purpose, but I'm just one person in here that has a calling and a purpose. You all, every one of us, has a purpose, has a calling. We are all called to show love, just as it explained there a moment ago. We are all called to serve God and to fulfill that unique plan, that unique purpose in our lives. Every single one of us. Tomorrow, I may not be stewarding this position any longer, and I might go and work for UPS and be driving a truck. That could absolutely happen. But I'm still going to fulfill God's purpose for my life whether I'm doing that or I'm holding this microphone or I'm not or I'm doing something else different entirely. It doesn't matter. I'm going to strive after always to achieve God's purpose for my life. That is my calling as a Christian. That is my calling as a servant of God. And each of us has that. That is also foundational and a conviction that we need to possess. I want to go back to Colossians 1.19 just as a reminder really quickly. I messed up pretty good finding this in the iPad earlier, so I'm going to go slow so I don't mess it up here. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile 
to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And I stop there and say this. Remember, remember that, again, it was us that did this. And earlier in this passage, we recognize that through all things, or, or all things, sorry, have gone through Christ. When he came and he died for us, all things are covered by that grace. So we, uh, now here in verse 22, we have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We have been changed by that forever and ever. Recently, I I got to celebrate my 12th anniversary with my wife. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was here leading worship, and um, we got done with second service worship, and the uh, airline that we were with had decided to move our flight up dramatically, and we ran out the doors, and we took off, and we went to New York. And while we were in New York City, a place that we've always wanted to visit, um, and in, in people were like, isn't it like scary and dirty and uh, terrifying? Uh, sure, if that, that's your experience and you go hang out in certain places, I'm sure you could have that. Uh, but we were there to see sights, and uh, we walked the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, which uh, sounds uh, horrific when it comes to the heat that they're currently possessing. Uh, but we did pretty good. Made it over in like 20 minutes. It wasn't that bad at all. Um, we, uh, uh, we were able to go to Rockefeller Center. We were able to see uh, the Empire State Building, uh, though that day it was really cloudy. And uh, at one point, we could finally like look over the edge and just see straight down those 80-some floors and see traffic. Uh, but other than that, we were just literally living in the cloud there for a while. Um, but we got to see Central Park. Uh, we got to go to the Met, which is probably my favorite museum I've ever been to. and encourage anybody that ever visits the area to go there. We got to experience all these great things. And it was a wonderful time. Uh, something that we will always look back on, uh, you know, and uh, I, I almost admitted this in the first service as well, but probably my second favorite thing that happened while we were there is that um, we got to go to Yankee Stadium and watch the Yankees lose, uh, which was great. I was so ecstatic that that happened. Uh, no hate to my friend Mark, but I was very glad that they got shut out that day by my Red Sox, and my, uh, my love of them is quite well documented, so it was a bucket list item for me. Um, but uh, the main thing that I was excited about was seeing the Statue of Liberty. And I think a lot of people go to New York for that purpose and that intention. Uh, they they want to see uh, that incredible statue. That statue is 305 feet tall. Uh, it weighs 450,000 pounds. Uh, it was designed by the same architects as the Eiffel Tower and was designed to commemorate the centennial celebration of our nation's birth back in 1876. Uh, but for my family, the Statue of Liberty has a, a great significance and, and meaning, and I, I understand that many families probably have a similar story. Um, I had grandparents that were in the Hungarian Revolution and had to flee their home country under the uh, fear of a penalty of death. They escaped, uh, went into Yugoslavia, where they stayed in a concentration camp uh, for a length of time, and they were eventually sponsored to come into Canada and then and made their way down to uh, Los Angeles. But when they were coming across the Atlantic, they had to stop in New York en route to Canada. And the first thing that my, my family or my grandparents ever saw of the United States was the Statue of Liberty. And my grandfather would tell this story all the time in his kind of, well, his way. And he would say, you know, I wasn't trying to cheat on grandma, but I fell in love with another lady that day. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, and I loved hearing that story. And I think if you ever go to the Statue of Liberty and you aren't a little bit emotional, you, you're weird, okay? Um, it should bring a little tear to your eye as an American. Uh, it's, it's, it's a place of pride for sure. Um, but for my family, it was always that significance and the reminder of the promise that came with that, the opportunity for my family to exist. Had they stayed in their, their home country, the Novaks would not be here any longer. And God had a purpose when he allowed them to escape. God had a plan for their lives. And I know, I know now, and when I saw that statue was reminded that there is a very specific purpose for my family and who I am. There was a plan for my parents, a plan for my children. And I think that each of us needs to be reminded that we all have a purpose. I know that mine is to be a pastor. In the season of life that I am in, I steward this position, and God has called me to be here for this time, however long that is. But I will always serve him regardless of whatever I am doing. Whether I do go and work in a USPS truck or have some other job, I'll always do it because I know that I was created for a purpose and I will achieve that purpose because God has been faithful to me. He's been faithful to my family and I will always, always desire to be faithful to him. As sure as I am, the Genesis 1 and 2 show us God's very intentional purpose. I'm also sure that he is faithful to lead us and direct us in this season and the next. We must, each of us, know that we all have purpose. My challenge to you today is this. Because before I guess I get to that, God didn't create Adam and Eve to hang out in that garden and stay there forever and just to be. God created them to love one another, to love those that would come after them, and to be an embodiment of his love and continue that for generation after generation after generation. That is who he created them to be. Our purpose is also to do the same, to embody God's love and in all situations and in all times, show that love to those that are around us. I don't know your weird family members. I don't know your weird uncle or your odd nephew. I don't know the weirdo down the street that mows his lawn at 6 a.m. And if that's you, your neighbors do not like you. But you do, and God has placed you where you are to show his love to those people, even the guy that mows the lawn at 6 a.m. God has a very specific plan for your life, one that I cannot achieve for you, that your spouse can't achieve for you. It is yours and he has called you to it. That is your purpose. But I would ask you this today, are you thriving in your purpose? Are you thriving in it today? And if you'd answer, yes, great, wonderful, I'm excited for you. In the season that you're in, let's, let's continue to be diligent in prayer for the next season, whatever God has for you in that too. But if today you would be honest, and say in the, same, in the same breath as maybe that other person, say, probably not. And you'd say, honestly, you know, Pastor Matt, I, I messed that up a long time ago. Well, we already talked about that earlier, didn't we? You messed up a plan, but not the plan. 
You may have lost a battle, but there is a war. And God is victorious in that. We need to step into what he has for us. But you may need today to ask for forgiveness. In your honesty saying, God, I, I know that I've been selfish. I've been asking the wrong questions. I haven't been going where you have led me, Lord. And I know I am not thriving in my purpose today. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. And I want you to take that time and repent today. And say, God, I want to live out your purpose for my life. And then lastly, I would say this. Thriving, uh, that word might be associated with success. Uh, that, and and I, I want to make sure that we understand our purpose is not complete until we're in heaven. There's nothing you're going to do here on this earth that's going to be the completion of your purpose. Your purpose will be found when you get, and be completed when you go to heaven. So understand that. Each season will be new. Some will feel more important than others. Some will feel like there is more substance to it than others. But I would encourage you today that the goal is to continually serve and be thriving in your purpose until you see heaven. As we go into a time of prayer, let's be reflective this morning of what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be. Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word today. God, in this, this scripture that you have laid out, you ordered a plan for each one of us. God, we see the beginnings of it, the origin of all of creation there in Genesis 1. And God, we see your love poured out for us as you created us each. Lord God, to serve your purposes, to be in your will, Lord God, to show love to one another. God, today, some of us have come in here and we are thriving in that purpose still. In the season that we are in, we know that you are ordering our steps. We're walking in that with you every day. God, I pray for those today who know that they're, they're thriving in this purpose. God, they're excited in seeing you move. God, that you would order those next steps and they would walk faithfully into the next steps and in the next season. God, for those who come this morning and they feel that they've messed up that plan, Yes, when you designed them, there was a plan, but they have made mistakes and they feel they've veered very far to the left or to the right today. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts right now to know that they will know you're still in control. You are still leading and you are still guiding. God, you have never left them, though they may have walked away from your plan for their lives. Right now, church, if that's you, would you just begin to say, I'm sorry, God. If you feel convicted in that today and you know that's where you're at, challenge you to repent in this time. Say, God, I'm sorry I've walked away from what you have for me. I want to thrive in your purpose for me. I want to be who you've created me to be. Begin that prayer now. And God, for those those seasoned veterans here in our church who may even feel that their time has come and gone. And I pray that you would remind each of, us, each of us, Lord, today that our purpose is not fulfilled in its entirety until we're with you, that there are still those to love around us each and every day. 
God, we don't need to be in a season of waiting for heaven. We need to be in a season of doing always, doing your will and your work. God, may we have that heart to serve you in all seasons. Lord God, today we want to thrive in our purpose. We want to know, Lord God, the next steps. So continue calling us forward. Yes, Lord Jesus. In just a moment, church, we're going to pray. And if you're in this place today and you have uh, you've walked outside your relationship with God, maybe you put it to the side and been about your own plan for a time, and you know that you need to come back into right relationship with him to truly allow him to lead and to guide your life. We're going to pray for that today. Maybe you've never had relationship with God. Maybe prayer and the reading of his word and that the gaining of that relationship has just never taken place in your life. And you would like him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's, that's you today in a moment, we're going to pray. And whether you're in one of those two places, and, and us, as, us as a body, all of us, are going to repeat the words that I'm going to say in just a moment. I want you to mean those words in your heart, to be honest with God in this moment, and allow him to do work in your life today. So would you repeat after me, church? Lord God... I know that I have sinned. I know that I need you today. Please forgive that sin. Help me to be who you've called me to be. And help to, God, restore my right relationship with you. Just as you created it. I invite you to be the savior of my life and the Lord of my life today. In your name we pray, amen. Church, as we go from this place today, we have individuals who are here to pray with you and I'd encourage you uh, to do that. Allow them to just pray over whatever's going on in your life and your heart today and come alongside you in prayer and agreement. But can we do this as we leave this place? We were reminded of why God created us today. He created us to embody his love and to show it to everyone that we come in contact with, to live that love each and every day. And can we do that as the neighborhood today, as we go and we go outside these doors, we go back into our neighborhoods, we visit with our friends, our family, and our coworkers. Let us be people of love that he has called us to be. Let's be neighborhood church. Go and have a great week this week.